Hello everyone and welcome to the Business of PT podcast. I'll be your host, JT Moore. In this podcast, we will be interviewing successful physical therapists and learning about their stories in the field of PT. We will discuss a variety of topics such as entrepreneurship, careers, and pathways in physical therapy, as well as important characteristics in becoming a great PT. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you liked it, make sure to subscribe to get updates when new podcasts are released. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having Dr. Bob Rowe with us. Dr. Rowe is a nationally recognized speaker in the areas of musculoskeletal patient management, advocacy, and professional issues slash leadership. He is the president of the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. He is the executive director of Brooks Institute for Higher Learning, where he develops and manages residency and fellowship programs. And he also recently finished a six-year term as a member of the board of directors for the APTA. Bob, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me, JT. It's, it's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you and, and share some thoughts and perspectives. So thank you very much. Yeah, I'm honestly really excited to be able to, to have you on and be able to talk a little bit. And obviously, you've had a lot going on in your career. And I'm excited to be able to share that with the audience, your story and all of the experience that you've had. Would you be able to introduce yourself and give a little background of yourself to the audience? Well, yes, thanks. So, you know, I think you, you know, you, you hit a couple of highlights there. And the, I, I guess some other things I'll share. I, I grew up in New York, uh, Long Island specifically. Uh, uh, moved from New York while I was in college, did, did some um, college in New York, and then moved to Louisiana, uh, finished my prereqs there, and then went to PT school at LSU in New Orleans. And uh, that was a it graduated in 1985. It was a bachelor's degree back then. And while I was in Louisiana, uh, met my wife, and uh, we've been married now for 37 years. And uh, so that's, I think, one of my highlights of things that one of my uh, things that I'm proudest of. And we have uh, three children, two boys and a daughter, and uh, we have five grandchildren. And uh, so that's those those were all important to me. We uh, lived in Louisiana. My wife's from Louisiana and we lived there for together for 25 years and then uh, moved to Florida 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, enjoying life here. We, We love all things Disney. Uh, we uh, love sports, um, and I was in a in a job interview one time, and somebody asked, you know, tell us about your hobbies. And I said, you know, after I thought and reflected for a second, I thought, you know, my my hobby is really advocacy. <laughs> and they looked at me and thought, they they literally said, oh, we got to get you a life. And my <laughs> response was, no, I, you know, some people like to hunt, some people like to fish, some people like to golf. I I love advocacy. That's, that's what I really love to do. And so um, that's, that's who I am. And, uh, and I love professional service and advocacy and, and those things. And so that's, that's, um, I think that's who I am. And that's how I, uh, that's how I would introduce myself. Perfect. Thank you for, for sharing all that. And yeah, congratulations on, on the marriage and having your children and yeah. grandchildren. I know that family is such an important thing. So that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to follow up. You kind of shared your story of going to PT school and everything. I kind of wanted to know, how did you get introduced to physical therapy initially? Um, And could you explain a little bit of that career path? I know we've highlighted some of the portions, but could you highlight some of that as well? 
Yeah, my, my um, uh, we don't have enough time today to talk about my career path because it wasn't a, um, you know, the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line and my career path was not a straight line. It, it is about as um, squiggly as the Mississippi River. And uh, <laughs> so it's, it's a, um, it's a very, um, very um, serpentine path. And so um, I'll tell you all of my life growing up as a young boy, my dad was an electrician. So I always thought I was going to be an electrical engineer, but again, I, I love sports and growing up, I was very active in sports in high school, played three sports, you know, each year, at, you know, in high school. And, uh, it, as a uh, uh, 15 year old in high school, injured my knee pretty, pretty badly and ended up uh, having to have physical therapy. And I'd heard of PT because I had other teammates that had had to go have PT, but really had no idea what it was. And then when I had to go have it, all of a sudden it was like this epiphany of, oh my God, this is unbelievable. This is what physical therapy is. And this is what physical therapists do. And like, I can remember going home after like the first session and feeling like, how do I tell my dad that I'm not going to be an electrical engineer, that I'm going to be a physical therapist. And like, that was hard. That was like a hard thing to do, but, <laughs> but I had to do it because like, it was like, I've just at that moment in time, I fell in love with like, with this concept of being a physical therapist. And uh, so that was where it started. And, um, you know, my own personal experience of having to have PT. And then, you know, the path is, you know, I, I said I started out doing some prerequisites, you know, some college up in New York, moved to Louisiana, did finished up prerequisites, went to LSU, graduated. And then, you know, all I just wanted to be a, a great clinician. Um, I only and, and, the, and I'll tell you the drive that existed in my heart and soul at that moment in time, like when I what drove me to become a PT um, that still exists today. And it's not changed. In fact, I think it's gotten stronger is that I just care for people. I, as a human being, I just care for people. And I want people, whether it's the person I'm managing or just every person, <clears throat> I really believe every person every day should receive the best care available. And so that's, that's what drives me. And so as a clinician, you know, just thinking about it, I really wanted my patients to receive the best care. And coming out of school, it was really clear that I was not providing great PT. And so I was driven to try and do things. And I was, so I started going to a lot of continuing ed and I was trying to read, you got to remember back in 1985, this is a different day. We were functioning at a very we were on the cusp of being a professional kind of PT. We were still very much technicians. You know, it was a lot of treating pain. You know, people would come in and we would just treat pain and um, doing a lot of modalities and doing, you know, just basic exercises. And, um, you know, the body of knowledge was was very small, you know. And so we, we just did the best we could. And... Um, and, but I was still driven to try and, you know, learn as much as I could. And, uh, 
I, like I said, I went to a lot of continuing ed. And then after a few years, and I'll tell you, when I graduated from PT school, I said, I swear I will never go back to school again. I want to learn. I want to learn as much as I can, but I will never go back to formal academia. I hated school. I mean, from the time I was a young kid, I hated elementary school. I hated junior high. I hated high school. <laughs> I hated college. hated, I mean, even though I loved learning in PT school, I hated school. I hate academia. <laughs> so, um, and so... But after a while, I was like, I got to do something. So I went into an MHS program. It was advanced PT. And I thought, okay, well, I got to do it because I got to get better. And so I did that. And that like nudged me this much, like, like in terms of improving my skills. And I finished that in 94. And, and simultaneously, I was, I was identifying um, this thing called residency. Um, that, and it was only seven programs in the country at that time. And um, one of the programs was the Ola Grimsby Institute. And what they, what, what they would say is, and I went to a couple of his courses, Ola Grimsby, and he told me, look, if you get enough people together, we'll bring an instructor to New Orleans and you can do the resident, you know, we'll do the residency in New Orleans. And I said, okay. So I worked on it. It took me a couple of years. It took like two or three, no, well, probably a little over two years. And I finally found enough other people that were willing to do it. I needed 10 people. And so I finally got enough people together. And so we did it and started in 95. And um, so like we got it, I did that program. And again, it was in that program that finally um, we like, it was like, that's where my growth occurred. That's where I finally recognized, yes, this is what I needed. This is what I, what I've been craving. This is what I wanted to do. And you got to, you got to remember now, I graduated in 85, and this is 1995, so 10 years after I graduated, I had already moved into a academic teaching position in 1992. I was teaching some continuing ed courses, and within the community, I was recognized as being a, like a go-to clinician, and, you know, in terms of people sending me, referring patients to me, you know, complex patients, and saying, hey, can you take a look at this, and and um, give me some feedback. And so this is, this is where I was and I'm still searching, you know, for, to, because I'm feeling like I'm not anywhere near where I need to be. And, and other people outside are thinking, oh, well, he's, he's a go-to guy. And um, all of a sudden I hit this residency and it's like, oh my God, this is it. This is what I needed. And, um, and so I, it's a, it's a two years back then. It was a two year you know, part-time program. And I complete that program and, and automatically like, oh yeah, this is so awesome. I have to do the fellowship. So again, another two years now. And for that, I had to go out to San Diego. So for, for like fly out, you know, once a month for two years and uh, did that. And, and that is, was the fellowship. And, and we, we didn't use those words. It was like part one and part two, but in today's nomenclature, it would have been part one was an orthopedic residency. Part two was the manual orthopedic manual physical therapy fellowship. And, um, so, you know, and I did those and then like, I finally felt like, okay, now I'm on the path. Now I know like what I need to do to get great. And not that I was great at that moment, but now I know what I need to do to start getting there at least clinically. And, um, so that was the epiphany and that's, you know, people, I had somebody tell me one time, you know, Bob, you're a zealot, you know, and, and they meant it as a negative, um, term, um, for residency and fellowship. And I was like, you know what, you're right, I am. And, and I have good reason to be, 
because of my own personal life experiences that I lived this. I know what it was like to be a PT out practicing for 10 years in, you know, teaching PTs how to be a PT, practicing with patients and being thought of as a go-to person and still not knowing what in the world I was doing and, and then doing residency. And all of a sudden now, like knowing what I was doing, you know, now having skills and the, um, the knowledge and the abilities to, to be successful. And so, yes, is residency, did residency help me? Absolutely. And if it could help me, could it help other people? Of course. Could it help these young people graduating from school? Of course it can. If it could help me after 10 years, then yeah, hundred percent, it could help people. So am I a zealot? Yeah, I'm, I'm a zealot. <laughs> You know, and so then, you know, after I did the, the residency fellowship, you know, it really opened up a lot of career path opportunities. I, I met so many people in there and started getting involved at, um, within AOMP, the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists, and networking within there, and then um, opened up doors at the national level with uh, the uh, uh, orthopedic, back then it was the orthopedic section, and um, uh, I was appointed to um, several different um, task forces. I was appointed to the manipulation, APTA's manipulation task force early on. And so it just, I mean, things just kept rolling. And, um, you know, it's like once you get into something then people start recognizing you, then you just keep, it keeps going and going. And, and um, so that's, that's where it started. And I always feel like, the residency and fellowship helped me so much clinically and gave me so much knowledge and skills and attributes that assisted me to be a, a great clinician, but it also assisted me with networking and opening up opportunities on that professional service. It, and then, um, and then that helped me, you know, move down the path of, of, um, you know, where I, it gave me those opportunities of, you know, being an advocate and professional service and, and all of those other things. So that's perfect. Yeah. Thank you for that. And thank you for sharing me, uh, sharing all of that. One of the follow up questions that I wanted to ask kind of as you were talking is obviously you you really value your experience with your residency and your fellowship. And I wanted to know if you could kind of just kind of give a, a little explanation to anybody who's contemplating that as either they're in PT school and thinking about completing a residency because I had I know that I had some of my friends coming out of PT school that were debating it and wondering should I should I not what are some of the pros and some of the cons of a residency obviously it sounds like you have a lot of pros to talk about but what if you could highlight some of the pros and cons in today's courses um, and, and programs what would they be yeah there's um it's a it's a great question I and I speak around the country on this topic and people ask that exact question. And so I, so it's, this is a, this is a really common question for me to answer and, and there really are pros and cons, but um, so let me, let me share those with you. The, the, um, the cons of going into it, of course, are that um, for, for many of the programs around the country, you, um, you, you know, the students are graduating. We, I completely respect and understand that you're graduating with some debt right now. And it doesn't necessarily add to the debt. In fact, it doesn't add to the debt at all because you can, you can put the loans on hold while you're in residency. There's a, there's a mechanism to put your loans on hold and you're, you're earning a salary. It's, and it may not be the, um, 
the full salary that you would have earned if you weren't in the residency, but you can, you know, but at least you're earning a salary, you're not going into further debt. And so mm-hmm. that's, but there is, so that's the con is that you're not, you're not actively working to pay your, your debt down immediately, but that's, gotcha. but that's for a year, you know, so that's one year out of what's your future potential of working 40, 45 years, you know, mm-hmm. so you have one year that you're putting this off out of 40 to 45 years of potential working, you know, in the future. And then you're thinking about like, what is that one year going to do positively, you know, compared to the one year of negative that it's going to put off. So that's, so that's one con. Mm-hmm. Um, the other con is people will say they graduate and they've just gone through, you know, they went straight from elementary school, junior high, high school, undergraduate, DPT, and they just feel, you know, burned out. And they feel like, I don't know that I can put in the time for residency. And it's like, I don't, I don't, I just don't buy it. You know? So what do physicians do? You know, yeah. I, I just like, do we not have the same fortitude that we just wait? Well, you know, what wusses that, that we can't, that are we not, are we not as strong as the, our physician colleagues, you know, cause they do the same thing, you know, and mm-hmm. the, re- the reality is they're, residencies are a lot longer than ours. I mean, the shortest ones are three years mm-hmm. and, and we're talking about one year, a one year investment, you know? And so I don't buy it. I just don't buy that, you know, but that is a con that people will talk about, but um, it, you know, you got to tell somebody else who, who will believe it. Cause I just don't get it. You know? <laughs> and it, yeah. and if, and if you're, if you had that little grit, then I don't know, you got to go, go find something else to do. Cause that's, you don't belong in healthcare if that's, if that's who you are. So, yeah. um, and sorry to be so kind of no, blunt and so it. raw about it, but I just, I don't, I really don't have patience for that, you know, mm-hmm. cause I, um, we, we maybe we're not accepting the right people into our programs then if people are that fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, let's see, what are some other cons to it? Um, I don't know. I don't, I, I think, I think that's, that's primarily that's perfect. It. You yeah. know, the pros, but you know, the pros are that you propel your opportunity to learn, you know, forward so much faster. I mean, you know, Joe Godges is, is a, is a well-known PT out at USC out on the West coast university of Southern California. He did a, he did a, um, um, an editorial in JOSPT many, many years ago. It's probably 15, 20 years ago and talked about, he was one of the early um, people within residency training um, going back to the late nineties and, and pioneers in residency training. And he talked about how, you know, what, what took him, you know, maybe 10 years to attain, you know, in terms of practice expertise and clinical practice, um, he looks at his residents now and that's what they're able to get that in a year. And, wow. you know, so it's just, and, and we all see that. And, you know, that's all of us that are involved in residency training. That's what we see too. You know, is that, you know, the, the people that when they graduate they're they're not experts necessarily when they graduate, but they have so much more knowledge, so much more skill, and they're on a path that they know how to learn. And they know how to acquire more knowledge and acquire more skill. So their learning is going to, is going to continue, you know, going on an upward climb for a prolonged period versus, you know, um, 
I'll, I'll share a story. Um, when I was teaching at LSU, I had a student come up to me. She was a past student. Now she, she was a licensed PT. She had been out for about five years and we were at a conference in another PTA, Louisiana Physical Therapy Association conference. And she came up and gave me a hug and said, Dr. Rowe, it's so good to see you. I'm, I was just thinking about you a couple of weeks ago. I had a patient with an SI problem and I pulled your notes out and I was, I was using them to, to manage that patient. And at that moment in time, I felt like I got kicked in the gut. I just felt sick to my stomach because in, within that five-year period, there was a, a huge shift in the paradigm of how we manage SI patients in terms of a whole philosophical belief of moving from a mechanical model to a neurophysiologic model. And the whole, I mean, the whole thing just changed. And so she was taking information that I gave her that at the moment in time was, was good information. It was based on the latest information we had, but she wasn't keeping up. And like, so now what I was teaching was very different than what she had learned. And it was the epiphany that I can't do this anymore. And so you know, I can't just give people fish, you know, the old saying, if people are hungry, you can either give them fish or you can teach them how to fish. Yeah. And in residency, what we really focus on is we teach people how to fish, you know, in PT school, we're pretty much given a lot of people fish. We're just giving you, we're giving you baskets of fish. You just look, you're just giving it, giving it to them. In residency, we're teaching people how to fish. And that's, awesome. and that's a big difference um, so that you can continue learning for the rest of your life. And so that you never get outdated, you never get left behind because the, the, the amount of, of um, knowledge um, is changing over so rapidly. I mean, it's, and, and this is an old number, I bet it's even different now, but it was, um, it, it increases um, um, by four times every five years. You know, it's four times more knowledge within healthcare every five years. Wow. And so like if in five years time, if you haven't, done anything to keep up then you, you become a dinosaur and you go extinct mm. so if you don't if you don't understand how to learn if you don't know how to learn and you don't have the skills to learn to keep learning then you're, you're toast yeah and that's something that i feel like is so so important because everyone that i've had on the podcast and i've highlighted this a couple of times who's been very successful they have talked about, although they are quote unquote, like experts in the field, it's not based off the information that they learned back then. It's the information that they've constantly been learning, constantly been trying to find out and seek that's made them who they are. And then, and they're still doing that. They've realized there's still so much that I still need to learn. And I think that constant desire has definitely been a significant attribute that's been apparent in everybody that I've had on the podcast. Yeah. Good. Perfect. Yeah, but thank you so much for being able to share that. That was really great information. Uh, like really, really helpful, I'm sure, for a lot of people that are, are kind of questioning those things and trying to figure that out. Um, an- another portion that I wanted to highlight uh, is that you recently finished your time serving on the APTA board. Obviously, it's a very unique experience that not many people have as a physical therapist. But could you share with us how you got involved with that and your duties as a member of the board? Yeah, the, the board is such, a, um, such an honor and privilege to serve in, in that capacity. And, you know, it's, it's, um, I'll, I'll share my, my thing growing up as a young PT, you, you look and, and, you know, at first I'll tell you, I, I looked and I saw the people that were serving in that, in those roles. And I'd say, Oh man, I, those, those are amazing people. That's just, that's like, I can't, I can't imagine, 
I can't even imagine serving in that role. And, and then, and then the next evolution is, oh, I wish, I wish someday I could serve in that role. And, and then, and then the next evolution is, you know, I wonder if one day I might be able to serve in that role. And then the next evolution is, you know, I, I think that I'm on a path that, you know, maybe it's possible, maybe, maybe someday I might be able to do that. I'm not sure. I'm, I might not. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that or not. Maybe I'm not good enough to do that, but maybe someday I can. And then you just keep doing stuff. And so it was never like an intentional thing. Like, you know, I've heard some people say like, someday I'm going to be serving on the board, like young people graduated from school. I've heard people say that, you know, like someday I'm going to be serving on board. And I think that's awesome. You know, that they have that much confidence and, you know, that they have that, (laughs) that, you know, that, you know, they just feel that comfortable, you know, there. And that's just not who I was. I, (laughs) I, it took me years to get to a point where I felt like, you know, first, even would I be good enough to do it? And then secondly, like, did I have the ability and the skills and the characteristics? And, and it was only through like many other service roles, professional service roles that I finally got to a point where I was like, you know what, I think I'm at a point now where I feel like I can contribute and I could, I can be an effective board member. And when I got to that point, I, I reached out and said, um, you know, hey, I'd like to be slated and, and, and being transparent. Other, other people, I guess, were seeing me differently than I saw myself. Um, the, there's a nominating committee for APTA board and, and the, the people on the nominating committee had been reaching out to me probably for about five years, maybe a little bit longer and saying, hey, we, we would like to talk to you about being slated. And I just kept saying, nope, sorry, not, not ready, not, not happening. And, um, and, and then finally one day I just, they reached out and they said, okay, yeah, let's talk about it. And, um, cause I felt like I was at a point where I was ready to do it. And, um, and so then really the second part of your question is, you know, what did you do? And, and when you, when you're on the board, you're one of 15 and, you know, so we're all in, um, we're all working together. You know, we have a strategic plan. We work with, APTA staff, who I'll tell you, are just amazing people. APTA staff, I don't know if people recognize this or not, but they are some of the hardest working, um, brilliant, um, skilled, dedicated, um, just amazing people. I, I can't talk high enough about the, um, the dedication and what APTA staff does for us every single day, every single day. Um, and, and they go over the top. I mean, I, I mean, I'm still, I mean, after serving on the board, after all of my professional service roles, knowing what the board, what the staff did before I got on the board, now seeing them having even more understanding of what they did, seeing them as a board member, and still now even coming off the board, I still see things that are like, I, I'm still in awe of the, the effort that they put into stuff. Um, and so anyway, I'm, that's a little bit of a tangent, but we, we need to make sure that we value that. And, and, I want, and I want people to know, we are so fortunate to have such an incredible staff and it's led by our CEO, Justin Moore, who is a, a phenomenal CEO. I mean, you know, he's looked up to 
within the um, Beltway, you know, meaning within DC, as being one of the best CEOs within within the whole, you know, of all the organizations um, uh, within the Beltway, um, he's considered one of the best CEOs. And so we're so fortunate to have him as our CEO. And, um, and he does a great job of running it, of running our organization. And um, so, um, sorry, that's a little bit of a tangent, but, but it's important. It's really important to me that people know that. And um, so as a, as a board member, you're working closely with staff, you're working closely with um, the House of Delegates and the role of the House of Delegates is, is they're the governing body, you know, representing their representative body of the um, membership. And their role is to establish the vision and establish the professional standards and, and ethics and, and those type of things for the profession. And then the role of the board is to govern the association, manage the association, and, and make sure that the, um, the, the vision that the, that the association, the profession is moving in a direction that the house has determined, you know, so that we're meeting, you know, the, um, the, the standards and we're meeting the, um, you know, the, uh, the vision, we're moving in the direction of the vision. And so, you know, we have a strategic plan and, and we're making decisions and doing things moving in the direction of the strategic plan. And then, you know, and then of course there's operational activities that need to be done, you know, relative to the association. So you have, you know, we think about, we have generative conversations, we have strategic conversations, and then we have judiciary um, conversations and responsibilities that we have to carry out. Um, we, within the generative conversations, we brainstorm and we have, you know, what do we, what do we need to do? What are the big ideas? What's, what's the, um, the next big thing that we need to consider? And um, what are the, what are the opportunities for us to, to um, better serve both our members as well as society? And um, those are the, those are the, the things that we do as, at a, at a more global sense, those are the, mm-hmm. the things that we do as, as board members. Perfect. Yeah. And yeah, with that, because AP, APTA is something that kind of like you said, you hear that at least in PG school, you're like, wow, those people obviously know a ton about PG and, and me as, as a student, I just feel very raw and, and, and learning a lot. So it's, thank you for your sharing your perspective of, of where you were at initially to where you're at now and being able to have those experiences. That's really, really cool to be seeing it from the other side. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Sure. And one of the things you talk about and you kind of highlighted throughout our conversation so far, is the importance of advocacy, um, not only for our profession, but for the general society, like you just mentioned. What would you say are some things that we can do to become better advocates for our profession, for the general public, for healthcare? Yeah, thanks for that question, because it's so important. I mean, I think that what, what we need to recognize is that every single one of us should be an advocate. We should be an advocate for our patients, first and foremost, that, and I think that's the most important thing, that we recognize that we're, we're not necessarily advocating for ourselves, we're really advocating for our patients because we don't want it to um, appear that we're being self-serving. So like even when, when we're saying we're trying to advocate for higher payment, um, yeah, that's, that, that's gonna help us but it's ultimately also helping our patients because it allows us to do more with our patients. So mm-hmm. um, even in that sense, it's, it's um, we're advocating for our patients um, ability because 
here's a scenario. Our, our patients come in and there's a contract that says that it's only going to pay us $45. So, you know, if, if you're, and the reality is, if you're, if you're only getting paid $45, then the, rea- the reality is you should only be re- pro- providing $45 worth of service to that patient. And is that, is that really enough? to meet the needs of that patient. And so the answer in most cases is probably not. And so, but then how do you run a business? And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, people hate to think about it, especially us PTs. We hate to think about the fact that PT is a business, healthcare is a business, but and I can never remember her name, but it was a, it was a nun who, who was um, CEO of the, one of the, the uh, Daughters of Charity Clinic. And she, coined the phrase, no margin, no mission. So even for a not-for-profit, Daughters of Charity Hospital, she recognized that, you know, if you don't make any money, then you don't have, you're not going to keep the doors open. So you got to make money. Okay. No margin, no mission. And so for us, we have to make money. You got to, you know, you got to, you got to keep the doors open. You got to pay the bills. You got to pay the light. You got to pay the lease. You got to pay for equipment. You got to pay, pay for people's salaries. You know, you got to pay all that stuff. And, and every year, you know, as PTs, we want to make more money, right? We want to, we want to get a little bit of a raise, you know, even if it's just a 3% just for cost of living, but you know, if payment's not going up, then what, what do you do? Okay. So, um, so we, so we have to, av- we have to advocate for things um, because otherwise it's the, the patients that get shut out. Um, so, um, so first and foremost, we're advocating, we should be considering that the advocacy is for the patient and, and we should be advocating of course, for the profession and making sure that the profession is being viewed in, in its rightful place within the healthcare system. Um, and um and, and I think those, we need to recognize that it's the responsibility of every single one of us to be advocates and that we shouldn't just advocate for like what, what our specialty is. Like we should be advocates for physical therapy. So like if, if there's a pediatric issue, then I'm advocating for it. If there's a neurologic issue, I'm advocating for it. And I, I should share, I mean, my background is ortho. I mean, but it doesn't matter. I'm not going to just advocate for orthopedic issues. I'm going to advocate mm-hmm. for physical therapy. And, you know, it's, and I think we all have to do that. And if we all do that based on our volume of, and, you know, numbers we'll be more successful. The problem is that, that we don't, we're, we're not active with advocacy. Um, you know, another very um, easy, well, I, I don't, I don't know how, it is easy, but people don't do it because they think it's hard is develop relationship with your local um, state representative, like go to their office and just meet them and, you know, have it set up a meeting with them and, um, you know, meet their, um, their staff and, you know, develop a relationship with them. And um, so that when, and don't do it during the sessions, you know, because that's the mistake that people make. They, they try and get to see people only during the legislative sessions. You need to do it when they're out of session and, and develop that relationship so that when they're in session, 
then you can have a conversation with them about, you know, a bill that maybe is either oppositional to us that we want to fight or a bill that we want to support. And if you, if you don't have that relationship and you just go into them, then it's just like, you know, you just, you're just another talking head. But if you develop a relationship with them outside of the session, outside of the legislative session, and then you go to them during the session, then you're somebody they know and you're somebody potentially that they trust. And that's, that's a critical, critically important and valuable um, tool that we've, we've been um, using successfully with, with people. But the problem is again, that the people that do it or have been incredibly successful. The problem is many people don't do it. Gotcha. So we just, we just need, we need to get more people out there doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I thank you for highlighting those things. I think that advocacy is, is such an important thing. And I liked how you said, we're not advocating for ourselves. We're advocating for our patients. And that's so important that as we focus on them and know in the end, everything that it improves for us is going to improve for our patients. That's just a, an, a, a natural process. And I think that's something that we should really be aware of. We know that as PTs, we've gotten into this profession to help serve people. That's, that's what everyone says. And I hope that it's what everyone really feels because that is our, our impact that we can leave on society and to be able to know that, Hey, the ways that we improve our, our profession, we are more so helping them make sure that they receive the highest quality of care. Yeah. And I, I wanted to kind of talk about that too, as far as making sure that there's the highest quality of care. Um, we, we talked about this in prior conversations. Do you have any practical steps or ideas that how PTs can really improve or focus on that and improving their quality of care with each patient given the current circumstances? Um, yeah, the, the, um, the model that I believe in is that um, it should become the natural continuum for physical therapists to graduate from PT school and move straight into residency. And, and we're, we're years away from that, but, but we're gonna have to move to that model because we did, a, um, we did an APTA board appointed task force uh, several years ago. There were actually two board appointed task forces. One was um, based on, was uh, in 2015 on professional education. And then that, recommended that we do a second follow-up one on uh, clinic specifically with clinical education. And that started in 2017. And I was appointed to that task force. It was the best practice in clinical education uh, task force. And what that task force actually determined after a year long of doing a very deep dive, reading, you know, I'll say a bazillion articles and interviewing a million people and looking at all kinds of stuff. And I mean, it was 11 people on this task force. And at the beginning, there were probably two people that believed the model was that, two out of 11, that believed that the model should be that people graduate from PT school and then move directly into residency. At the end of the year, guess what? All, all 11 people, agreed after after reading everything after doing the deep dive after recognizing all of the looking at everything that we looked at all 11 people unanimously believed yes that is the right thing that is what we should be doing that's the model for us and and you know what i what i talked about i graduated in 1985 the body of knowledge was insufficient 
to do any kind of post-professional training and education. Um, but, but we've been along this evolutionary path and I, and I talked about how um, med- information in healthcare is, is growing exponentially. And the um, you know, physicians, you know, you go back to the early 1900s and you look at their history, you know, they got to a point where they recognized medical school wasn't enough to be a surgeon, to be an orthopedic surgeon or to be a pediatrician. And so that's where residency came in. And uh, so now, you know, what, what you know, a, a physician recognizes is that the nine week rotation that they did in uh, pediatrics isn't enough to be a pediatrician, that they have to go do a pediatric residency. And so they graduate from medical school and then they go and do a pediatric residency. And, you know, I, I think, you know, years ago, our body of knowledge wasn't sufficient to do that. Um, and our practice wasn't, wasn't there. But when you look at our practice today, the vast majority of people graduate and go into a specialty area of practice. You know, they go into a mm-hmm. neurologic um, practice area or pediatric or women's health or orthopedic or, or some specialty area practice. And some people still do in combinations, but, but many, many people are going into a specific area of practice. And that's not how they're being trained in PT school. And it's not the PT program's fault. I always want to make it really perfectly clear. I don't blame the PT schools. I mean, that's not their job. They're training people to be, and it's not generalist. That's not the right word. Again, this came out of the task force. Um, we agreed that the word should be basicists, that pe- the physical therapy students are trained to be, to, to have the basic um, amount of information to be successful. And, and part of why we said basicist and not generalist is because we're actually creating a, a generalist residency program. So, which will be like, maybe more like a family medicine physician uh, okay. residency. So, we, so it would be disrespectful to say that, that students are graduating with a generalist knowledge because um, they're really not. They're graduating with a basic knowledge of physical therapy. And so, um, and so how, do, how, how successful are people going to be graduating with a basic um, knowledge skills with patients within a, who, with managing patients who are, you know, coming in with, with, um, within specialty areas of practice. And, and so I think it's necessary that students after graduation, move into residency training. Otherwise, they're going to be treating them at a at a mediocre level. And you know, if that's if that's where people are at, and that's where they feel that's that's okay, then that's unfortunate. You know, because I always feel like people. I said this at the very beginning. I always feel like every human being should be receiving the best care possible every day. And and where and when we if we get to a point where we feel like it's okay for, for any person, any patient, any human being to be receiving mediocre care. I think we're in the wrong business. Mm-hmm. And, um, and whoever's, whoever's sitting in that seat thinking that, I'm, I'm not sure that I want them as a colleague, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So, um, and if, they, if they're convinced, if, and whoever, shame on whoever, whatever faculty member convinced them 
that they're going to provide, be providing high-level care? Because at the end of the day, it's, it's really clear they are not. Okay, they're going to be providing good care. I'm not, so I don't want to. I want to be careful. They're going to be providing good, safe care. That's gonna that's gonna be sound, but it's not going to be high level. And like, would you want your mom or your wife or your daughter going to that person, or would you want them going to see me? If they had a back problem, would you want them to see one of your your um, colleagues that you just graduate that you're graduating with, or do you want them to come see me? Yeah, that's, there's no question there. Yeah, well, and so that's that's why I'm saying that's why I believe what I believe. Yeah, and I, honestly, I I really like that, and that makes sense to me. I I've been talking to one of my colleagues that he completed a sports residency, and he said, yeah, like the same kind of picture that you said. The amount of learning that he had in one year surpasses anything else that he had prior to that and so i think that's super important to realize we're really learning a lot more in a short amount of time there because we're really able to dive deep into that specific and like you said we're, we're having a very basic understanding i i realize i don't know a lot of things right now coming out of pt school and just graduating and starting to practice and so i'm like okay there's a lot i don't know and like you said con ed is going to be super important and and the residencies are, are one thing that I've been t- talking about and figuring out in my mind of which one would I decide to choose. Um, but I really like that you that you guys had that that experience and realized, okay, this will be this could be the future model of what we're going to do, what we should do to be able to help the profession. So thank you for, for highlighting those things. The, the other thing, if you don't mind me sharing, is that yeah. the, the learning that takes place in PT school and the learning that takes place, the type of learning, the lot, the style of learning in residency is completely different. Residency isn't like a continuation of PT school. PT school is a very traditional model. It's just just like everything else where you sit in a classroom and somebody just lectures to you or you even if you have discussions, you do labs with each other. Um, and then at some point you go out and you do clinicals. And some people are really fortunate and they go to good clinical sites. Some people are not so lucky and they go to bad clinical sites, probably the majority are kind of sitting in the middle and they go to fair to average clinical sites. Um, And, you know, that's, so that's, you know, learning at its best in PT school, okay? And you know what? That's not consistent with um, the literature in terms of adult learning, okay? But adult, what the literature for adult learning tells us is that we, Adults learn best with experiential learning. And that's what residency is all about, where you're in the setting and you're learning while you're doing, okay? So yes, you, you, you're in practice, you're in that clinical practice and you're, you, you receive some, some information, but then you're in that practice for the majority of the time and you're integrating it right away and you're receiving mentoring immediately in that setting and making sure that you're integrating the information. So the residency is very much in alignment with what the literature talks about, what is, what is the best way for adults to learn versus PT school, I'm sorry to say, is very much out of alignment with what the literature says in terms of what is the best way for adults to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for highlighting that and sharing that difference between the two. And that's, that's a big difference, obviously. And it's good to know. 
stuff. Right. Perfect. Um, yeah. And honestly, like this has gone by really, really fast, but I wanted to highlight a couple of things before we finish up. Um, one of the ones that we talked about and I really want to highlight is you've talked about the importance of making sure to get that experience and be surrounded by great people. And I wanted to know, did you have any mentors throughout your career and what has the importance of them been and the things, some, some of the things that you've learned and continue to carry on throughout your career? Oh, I'm, I have been so fortunate. I've led a blessed life. Honestly. I mean, honestly, I have, I've had so many great mentors and um, mentors in different areas, clinical mentors, professional service mentors, um, you know, mentors in, in work, you know, in terms of, you know, practice management, um, uh, you know, mentors, um, you know, the person who introduced us, you know, was Michael Spiegel and he was a mentor of mine, um, understanding, you know, the, the business world, you know, cause I was not, that was not my forte and I was coming from a, from a academic world. And so, um, Michael was a tremendous mentor trying to help me understand that. So, um, you know, yes, I've had, I've had really great mentors, um, over many, many years. And, you know, the interesting thing is that I, I, um, I play this goofy little game and it sounds silly, but I'll, but I'll sometimes like imagine that, you know, it's like a cartoon and I still have like somebody sitting on my shoulder and then, and they'll be sitting there thinking, um, and I'll think, you know, they'll say to me, talk in my ear, Bob, is that, is that really the way you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> and like, they're always there. Like I always have, when I'm working with a patient and Ola will be sitting on my shoulder, Ola Grimsby is sitting there saying, uh -huh. Bob, is that right? Is that, is that, <laughs> is that the way you're supposed to be doing that? You know, or, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, there's, and then there's other people, you know, that I, I have this, there's too many to mention, you know, of all the different mentors that I've had and uh, but I but they um, they they frequently will come into my into my thoughts and algorithms and reflections and, and when I'm meditating about you know helping to remind me of um, you know keeping me on the right path and keeping mm -hmm. me centered and focused um, and and making sure that I'm I'm staying in in the lanes that I want to stay in too and um, so yeah, I, it's the mentoring. I can't, I can't emphasize how important mentoring is. It's, um, it's one of the most valuable things that any of us as clinicians will ever undertake or ever experience. And uh, we should, we should always be on the lookout for great mentors and, and, um, and look for mentors in different areas. So look for mentors in, you know, clinical space, look for mentors in, in you know work-related areas, work, look for mentors in professional service areas. I mean, just look for mentors in in anywhere you are. Look look for mentors, and even outside of profession, look just from look for life mentors. You know, mm -hmm. look for look for people that are going to help you. Um, just because mentors are so valuable to help you open up your eyes and open your world to see things that you may not have seen from that. Um, perspective. You, you didn't see that lens. You didn't, you didn't appreciate that paradigm. And, um, you know, mentors can open doors for you. They can break down barriers. They can um, just through their questioning process, um, help you to, to get to a point in your head that you hadn't thought of something before. 
you didn't you didn't view it from that perspective before. Um, so yeah, mentoring is um, so incredibly um, powerful and valuable. And and again, we say that's the backbone of residency. You know, residency and fellowship training is it, it's the it's what makes it so powerful is the mentoring aspect of it. That's perfect. Yeah, and honestly, as you were talking about that, it's kind of I really been able to see that in my life that people that I surround myself with that have been where I want to be, their knowledge is so valuable because I don't need to rewrite or have to go through all these experiences firsthand. They get, at least give me a little bit of a glimpse of what to expect in a lot of different aspects, not just PT related. And it's like, okay, like if they can do it or let's make sure to not do what they did in that situation, like, and learn from that as well. Um, so that's really cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and just before we wrap up, I just wanted to really highlight a couple of big questions that I wanted to ask. Um, what is something that you had wished you had learned sooner in your career? I think we kind of talked about this a little bit already and you kind of highlighted some things, but is there anything that really sticks out to you? And then is there any other additional information or words of advice you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, I think the thing I wish I had learned earlier was that I was a, I was a little bit of an isolationist early on that I felt like I could do a lot of things by myself and I, and I wasn't looking to, um, work in in teams you know interdisciplinary teams and like thinking about referring people out for other services and um and i i got to a point where i recognized that was not best for my patients that i that i was not um providing the best care for them that i that i was um cheating them that i that i was doing still a lot of good for them. I was helping them, but there was lots of other things that they needed that I was, that I was not, um, that they needed that I wasn't that, that, and I wasn't helping them by not providing those. Um, and, and I, obviously I couldn't provide those services, but I wasn't referring them or consulting with others. And, um, once I learned that I felt badly that I hadn't done that sooner. So, um, not, so, so that's the thing that I wish I had learned earlier in my career was that, you know, the, the just being more inclusive and being more willing to um, work in a consultive model and being more consultive with other um, disciplines. Um, so that, that's what I would, that's what I would, um, that's what I wish I had done earlier. Um, and then, you know, I don't, I don't like giving advice to people. I don't think I'm smart enough to give advice, but you know, I, I love sharing perspective and um, sharing my thoughts and ideas just because I, I think people are smart enough to make good decisions if they're informed. And so what I always want to try and do is make sure that people are, are informed so that they can make good decisions. And so rather than giving advice, I just want to educate people and, and then once I once they're educated, then I think they're good, and and then even if their decision isn't isn't what I would what I would have made, then I at least I respect it and and I understand that's their decision and and it's and it's it's what was best for them, and um, but you know I so I just think I think the most important thing is that people make informed decisions, and um, so I so I think it's really important that um, I, I try and educate people, the people that, I, that are around me, part of my circle and part of my community and people that I engage with, my, 
the thing that I do the most is I just try and educate people and help them see things. Um, again, rather than giving advice, I just try and make sure that I educate them uh, and, and try and be neutral, you know, and try and, but just try and be objective with giving them all of the, all of the information that I think they, you know, will, will be valuable for them to make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Thank you for that. That is, yeah. I love that you talked about highlighting and making sure to work with the team and, and use everyone around you. We all have our own skill sets to make sure to use everybody that has those unique skill sets like us, like we do. So perfect. Um, yeah. And honestly, thank you so much again for coming on. This has been a pleasure. Um, just before we wrap up, if someone is interested in talking with you, what would be the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, but I think my um, email um, is the is probably the best way. It's um, robert.row at Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S, rehab.org. Perfect. Thank you so much. Well, honestly, it's been, it's been a pleasure to be able to share your story out here on the podcast. And I hope everyone's really able to learn and think about and highlight all the things that you've shared, obviously, from uh, as a profession, how to better advocate for our patients and for ourselves to be able to talk about being your experience on the board and also just the importance of residency and learning and gaining that additional knowledge if we want to become the best PTs to provide the best care for our patients. Thank you so much for coming on. JT, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time and the opportunity to, to um, speak with you. And, and um, I'm really thankful that um, I, I was able to spend this time with you. So uh, thank you very much. Got it. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. I hope you liked that episode. If you did, make sure to subscribe and also leave a review. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.